Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Zechariah, the ninth chapter. Zechariah chapter 9. We got down to verse 9 and 10. There's some more things we wanted to say about verse 10. We read quite a bit about verse 9 and the appearance of Israel's Messiah, and we referred to the Gospels where Jesus came into Jerusalem, you know, and uh, riding on the donkey, and uh, lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That's in 9 verse 9. Now then, verse 10 it says, and we, we read this one and commented some of it, but I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even unto sea, and from the river even unto the ends of the earth. Now then, uh, when it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, Ephraim represented the ten uh, northern tribes of Israel. And then it says, and the horse from Jerusalem... So the chariot and the horse signify the uh, transportation of warfare. And he's going to cut these off, he says. And Jerusalem here represents uh, the two tribes uh, of Judah, which would be uh, Benjamin and Judah. These were the two tribes. And so both uh, ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south are spoken of here in these two different terms. And there will be a time that they will be joined together. Both of these, both uh, kingdoms of Israel and Judah will be restored. It's yet to be restored and will uh, be restored at the coming of Christ. And this shows us the end of war and the restoration of peace to not only Ephraim and Jerusalem, but it says... His dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. So when we think of that particular compass, that includes uh, even the heathen nations round about Jerusalem. So when he speaks of all these, uh, we see that that's what he's referring to. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21... In the days of Solomon, let's see if I can find it, First Kings 4, verse 21, it shows you the scope of this reign in time past. In Solomon's day, he covered a whole area. In fact, the area that was promised to Abraham. It says in verse 21, Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river. The river was usually called the River Euphrates. That was the uh, marking point. Uh, unto the land of the Philistines, that was all the way to the coast, and then, and unto the border of Egypt, down to the Red Sea and down to the Egyptian territories. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. So look, look at his reign. And Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river, that would be Euphrates over there the other side of Baghdad, <laughs> and all to the west, going to the coast, under the land of the Philistines, and then under the border of Egypt, that would go south. So all that land, and that was the territories that were promised to Abraham, and in Solomon's day, well, it was ruled over by him. But uh, we'll find it again back in Zechariah now. He's speaking of the fact that his 
dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. So he's speaking of the fact that there will be universal uh, reign over all the world and then all the heathen would be included in this, the blessing that would then come in the future upon uh, Israel and upon Judah. And you know they talk about the ten lost tribes this day and hour. Well, they may be lost as far as Man is concerned, but God knows where they are, and He'll be regathering them. And as we read on down, you'll find that He gives hope for all of Israel and all of Judah, and all the earth, the whole world, is included. Uh, As we read in verse 11, it says, And for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Because of the blood of God's covenant. You know, Israel of old had a blood covenant with God, and you and I as believers today have a covenant in the blood of Christ. And so if you look in Exodus 24, 8, let me give you these references. Exodus 24 and verse 8, it says this, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant. See that? The blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And he made uh, a covenant with Israel of old. Now, as far as the New Testament Christians are concerned, in Hebrews chapter 9, if you care to look there, look at verses 18 through 20. It says, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. That's what we just referred to. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood uh, of the calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament, that's the Old Testament, which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle, let's go and read on down, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law, purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So even you and I today have to have the blood covenant of Christ in order for our sins to be forgiven. It says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, better than the Old Testament sacrifices. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true. So those places in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple as well, but the tabernacle especially, was made with hands under God's direction. They were figures of the true, or a picture of the true, or symbolical of the true. But into heaven itself, they're, they're a picture of heaven. Where Christ has appeared, of course, it says now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Christ now is in the presence of God in heaven for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entereth in the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. If he had to do like the Old Testament priest, he would have had to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now once, now look. Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ's sacrifice fulfilled all of those blood sacrifices of the Old Testament and set up a New Testament or a new covenant of which the old was a figure 
and a new covenant for not just a nation, but for all the people who become believers. You and I who are of the Gentiles, we're included. And so it says uh, that He appeared once to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So He died for our sins one time. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ's future appearance, He will not have to come and die for sin. It will be without uh, any regard to having to make a sin offering or sacrifice. And to them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin. That means that He won't have to settle that question of, of the sins of the world when He comes the second time. Unto salvation. That means our final salvation or complete salvation of, of our person. We're already saved right now as far as our soul is concerned, spirit is concerned, but we shall be saved in the future bodily and eternally from the presence of sin, the power of sin, and into Christ's presence. So back now in the book of uh, Zechariah, chapter 9, and notice what it says in verse 11. It says, As for thee also by... The blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. He came to deliver or bring back his exiled prisoners, prison people, from captivity in the Old Testament. And their dungeon prison, they would be released. And then, of course, it embraces the future ones that are in prison, so to speak, or in the prison of sin and Satan, and uh, to deliver them. But let's see if we can uh, get a few things about this. I have sent forth our prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. This reminds us of Joseph, doesn't it? Where he was cast into a pit, and everyone thought he was dead, and that was the end of Joseph, but it wasn't. Uh, Let's read in uh, Genesis 37, verse 24. Genesis 37, verse 24. Well, let's read verse 23 and 24. Genesis 37. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So he says he delivered, just as he delivered Joseph out of this pit, of course, they took him out and sold him into bondage, and there's a whole lot more to the story of Joseph. But he says in Zechariah that he's going to deliver these prisoners, send forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Though all uh, manner of uh, deceit was in imprisoning Joseph for the time until they later, later took him up out of the pit and sold him into bondage. Well, uh is a picture of what the Lord will do for His own. Let me give you something else. Look in Jeremiah 38, verse 6. Jeremiah uh, 38, in verse 6. Let's see if I can find it. 38, in verse 6. Notice it says here, Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek. 
that was in the court of the of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with cords, and in the dungeon there was no water, but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. So just as Jeremiah was later delivered out of that pit, and just as Joseph was delivered out of that pit, there's a promise that God would deliver them out of that pit wherein there was no water. Now I want you to notice something else here. That Jesus promised to deliver the prisoners. If you look in His first sermon in Luke chapter 4, in verse 18, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. You remember uh, verse 16, He came to Nazareth where He was brought up. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto Him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when He had opened the book, He found the place where it was written. By the way, when He found the place where it was written, it was not easy like you and I to turn. And you had to look at the whole book and be familiar with Isaiah and find the place where it's written. Because there was no chapter divisions. There were no verse divisions. Did you know we didn't have chapter divisions until about the 12th century A.D.? The 12th century. And then I think about the 15th was when we had verse divisions. The chapters were divided into verses. But first came their chapter divisions, then came their uh, verse divisions. So you might say... uh, over half the time since the, well over half the time since the death of Jesus, two-thirds of it, we didn't have any chapter or verse divisions in the Scriptures. And so, it, he found the place where it is written. That wasn't the point I wanted to make, but let's go on. Uh, it just might be good for us to realize how fortunate we are to have a place to look and a chapter to look at in, within a book and a verse to look at within that chapter. To, to pinpoint where we want to read. But anyway, here's what he read in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. See? And, re- and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Now think of it for a moment. I want you to get this. And I've pointed it out before to you. He stopped right there. And then he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now why did Jesus stop quoting Isaiah right there? And I've told you. You remember? Because the next verse says, and the day of vengeance of the next sentence says, and the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance had not come. The acceptable year of the Lord had come, and so he wouldn't be able if he had said it, if he had quoted the rest, the next verse of Isaiah, he could not say that this scripture was fulfilled in your ears because it would be yet future, the day of vengeance. So he stopped short of that and say the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book, and, and you remember. Uh, He said, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. It's fulfilled because He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm going to preach the Gospel to the poor and all this. And this is the acceptable year of the Lord. But within that context, back to the point of Zechariah, look at it again in verse 18. It says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now look, to preach deliverance to the captives, the prisoners, to release the prisoners from what? Satan and from sin. 
And so in a spiritual way, these verses that we're reading from Zechariah not only have a, uh, what we might say is a physical or, uh, let's see how we would put it, a physical and, and a literal deliverance in that day and hour and historical in uh, Zechariah's day, but they have a spiritual implication to you and I. That the deliverance of those prisoners from the prison and bondage of Satan and of sin. The Bible tells us He's delivered us. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And it tells us that sin will not be we will not be imprisoned as far as sin is concerned. Uh, another scripture might help us to understand. I don't know. Let's look in the book of Psalms, chapter 40, and read this, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Doesn't that remind you of Jeremiah? And it says, And set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And it put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So God lifted us up out of the pit of sin and the clay, the miry clay, wherein we were um, stuck there and could not deliver ourselves. So He delivered us from that situation in a spiritual uh, aspect or Implication. Now, back in Zechariah again, notice chapter 9 and verse uh, 12. It says, Turn you to the stronghold. They're exhorted to turn to the stronghold. They needed to turn, and they will turn, to their Messiah, the stronghold for security. And it says here, Ye prisoners of hope. They had hope that they would be released, and they certainly would be. Ye prisoners of hope. Even to... Today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Think of God rendering double. There was hope for them in spite of oppression. You know, people get under great distress and duress, and they get un- they're depressed and they're down. And uh, in spite of the oppression or oppression from the outside, there's a hope. And here, notice, it's a double hope. I will render double unto thee. Now, let's notice what we're talking about here. First of all, I want us to see in uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 2, and we need to read this one to see that sometimes there's double judgment as well. There's double hope. Isaiah 40 and verse 2. It shows that there was a double punishment because of our sins, but then we'll get to another reference in a minute. It says, uh, well, let's read verse 1 and 2. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people with saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. But now look. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So she's received double for all her sins. But then I want you to look at uh, Isaiah 61 and verse 7. Isaiah 61 and verse 7. And you see the, the different story here. For your shame you shall have double. Look at this. And for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. What is the double they shall possess? Everlasting joy shall be unto them. The, the blessing that will come as a result 
will be double. Just like there was double for their sins in this one, verse uh, 7, Isaiah 61, verse 7. For your shame you shall have double, and confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, that's the future, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. There will be double blessings. And a realization of a double portion of blessings that will rest upon them. So they are truly prisoners of hope. And God says, even that day I declare that I will render double unto thee when they would be released. Verses 10 through 17 speak actually of a future deliverance. It speaks to end war and restore peace to all the earth and even to the heathen. And notice, look, verse 13. When is this going to happen? This liberation from bondage shall be complete when I, look, verse 13, when I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as a sword of a mighty man, as the sword of a mighty man. So the liberation would come when, when he would bent, have bent Judah for himself and filled the bowl with Ephraim and raised up heirs of Zion against, uh, over the heirs of Greece, against the sons of Greece, and made Jerusalem, see, as a sword of, my, of mighty man. And that's when this would actually come and uh, be true that all this will take place. Let's look at verse uh, 14. It says, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and His arrow shall go forth as the lightning. Uh, And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. Now notice here. The Lord shall be seen over them, and His arrow shall go forth as the lightning. Sometimes the lightning is compared to God's arrows. Look in Psalm 18. Verse 14. Psalm 18 and verse 14. This is a good verse for that. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. How did he send them out? And he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. You see the word arrows and lightnings are compared or associated in Psalm 18 verse 14. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. And he shot out lightnings. So the lightnings were as God's arrows and discomfited them. So God has all the power and all the weapons that he needs to use. And back in the book of Zechariah, hold your place where we're studying. And let's read that verse again and see if that has given a little light upon it. It says in verse 14, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as lightning. And then the last part of verse 14, And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. Here's a bugle call to battle. You know, you sound the trumpet, and it can indicate a lot of different things. Or the bugle. You know, when, when you're in the army, you have all kinds of bugle calls. One we like to hear more is taps than Reveille, isn't it? Reveille comes about 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30. That's pretty early to get out of bed. And uh, so the soldier says, I hate to get up in the morning. But he has to very early. Any, any military have to get up early. 
And they have to go go to bed when tap sounds too. The lights are out, and it's up to you to be be ready at that particular time. Usually, they sound the taps too when you have a burial of a of a soldier or sailor or military person. You know what the taps? A lot of people didn't know it has words. They just hear this thing. Da 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 da. From the hill. So it says, Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the skies. All is well, safely rest. God is nigh. So that's the way that goes. But anyway, a lot of people don't know that it has something, it means something. So anyway, uh, you blow the bugle. There's a sound of certain. Sound when you know. Remember when Israel, when they'd blow the trumpets, well, they'd know whether how to assemble. The tribes would assemble in certain order. They'd blow another sound of the bugle, and it meant that there was a, they were to get gather together at a certain point before the Lord. Or if there was another sound of the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet to go to battle. And they had all kinds of things that are just like we have in our cavalry and in our army and navy and various. Uh, Parts of the military. So anyway, uh, what we're saying here is that uh, that God says He will blow the trumpet and and shall go. You have uh, Zechariah nine verse fourteen and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. Now these whirlwinds were like tornado-like storms. They were like tornadoes. Many of us out in this part of the country, we go from here to Almagord. Even we see little dust storms, little whirlwinds. And by the way, they've had some pretty serious tornadoes back east, haven't they, in the south, in the last uh, couple of days. And so we find that they're very destructive. But here, these were like uh, the whirlwinds of the south. I don't know how severe they were, but they're like tornado-like storms. And then it says in verse 15, The Lord of hosts shall defend them. The Lord Himself is spoken of here as being the defender. You know, God defended His people of old, and He will defend in the future. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. And they shall drink and make a noise as, as through wine, and they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. Now notice, they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. First of all, you have God as the protector. He's the one that's going to defend them. He shall stand over and defend. Did you know a lot of times when we study about the Passover and the death of the firstborn, uh, without studying it completely, we don't get the full meaning of it. Because it says, in that night, the Lord will pass over you. The word Passover, you, not only has to do with the fact that the firstborn would be delivered from the death because of the blood applied, but it implicates that he would hover over or stretch over them to protect them. So it has a, a fuller meaning than sometimes we give to it. And you study it out, and he will stretch over them or hover over them to protect them from the onslaught of the death of that firstborn. It's not like you will just pass over, but he will pass over and hovering over for protection. And when you study it out, you'll find that it includes that thought and meaning. 
and uh, it's worth your study if you care to go into it. So what we're saying here is that God Himself will be, first of all, the one that will defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, like David of old. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 40 through 49, you have the record of where David went out to meet Goliath, do you not? And he took five smooth stones out of the brook. And when he took, by the way, five is a number of grace. And he only needed one stone for one giant. You know, when God's in it, he's going to hit, he's not going to miss the mark. Did you know that? He's not going to miss the mark. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, verse 40, and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine, verse 41, and the Philistine came on, drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him, that is the giant. And, uh, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy, in a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said unto David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear but and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give thy carcass, uh, give the carcass of thy host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth, now here, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not by, with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give and give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came to night to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put uh, his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. I want you to think of this for a moment. There's In saying that the stone sunk into his forehead... If you study that out too, it's like a stone would sink into the water. And the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. When you think about it, here little old David, he took five stones. Because later on you read and study that he had four brothers, four giant brothers, and they're named in this, as you study it out. So five stones was enough, wasn't it? If you have one stone for the Goliath and then his four brothers show up on the battle scene, still got enough for all of them. And so don't worry about it. Just takes one stone. You know how I know that you won't miss? Look in the book of Judges. Let's see if I can find a reference I'd like for you to have. Judges chapter 20, verse 16. Judges 20. I want you to listen to this verse. In verse 16, Among all this people there were 700 chosen men. They were left-handed, by the way. I don't know if David was left-handed or right-handed, but these were special kind of men. Judges, 
20, verse 16. Now listen to what it says. Everyone could sling stones at an hair breath. Now look. And not miss. David didn't figure on missing either, did he? And not miss. So that's why I know that he expected to hit his mark when he came up against Goliath. Now back in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, and we'll hurry along. Let's read verse 15 again. The Lord of hosts shall defend them. That's their first protection. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and make a noise as, as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. In verse 16, And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of His people. For they shall be as stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. What does it say? The Lord, their God, shall save them. First, they're saving. He shall save them. And then it says, in that day, that's a future day, as the flock of his people, they'll be again more or less looked upon as the flock of his people. For they shall be as stones of a crown, as an ensign of royalty. Notice, an ensign, it says. Lifted up as an ensign upon his land. And then the last verse tells us this. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Now, here's the expressions of God's greatness toward them, that you'll be in the future. And it says, And how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. When we think of the expressions here of peace and prosperity. But let me give you one verse. Psalm 31, verse 19. Psalm 31 and verse 19. Notice what it says here. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. So this great goodness is laid up for whom? For them that fear thee which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. So all this goodness is not just to those of Israel of old, but it's laid up for them that fear him. So the promise extends out to you and I and to a future time of blessing and goodness. So that last verse says, For how great is thy goodness and how great is his beauty. And that's what we're looking forward to. Take up the 10th chapter in our next lesson, starting there. We thank you for your patience and kind attention. Let's stand and uh, we'll...